You know, I had this cheer trying to get somebody to make some noise. It's sad. Sickening, really. They have held their own again, and now they're having fun. Gerard, another perfect lob to Sidibe. Just be Alabama. Just be one of the five most tradition-rich programs in the history of the sport with the greatest coach ever. Awesome. I see Buddy throw it up. Oh, okay. Goodness. Okay, Buddy. Somehow they coached me into doing this. To the rim for Gurriere. Still at his feet. He's going to go all the way. It's a touchdown. Taj Harris. Culpepper found him with a beauty. 69 yards. Nice. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us. Stephen Fonte, Seth Goldberg with you up until 2 o'clock. You know the number by now, 315-437-7644. We want to hear from you. We have no guests lined up for you. We want to talk Cubs basketball at 315-437-7644. Uh, the Orange with a a very impressive, and I know it's just BC Seth, but a very impressive 101-63 victory to move to four and one on the season. We should point out as we start the show, uh, the Orange has has just officially added another game this week. This is kind of the way it's going to go this year. Um, Syracuse will play Northeastern on Wednesday, three o'clock on the ACC Network. So they'll get in another game before the Buffalo game. Um, a, just a feel-good victory for this team, Seth, as they improved to 4-1 on the season. Oh, no doubt. I mean, you said, yeah, it's only Boston College, and you're right. I mean, Boston College for now is in the top 100 of the Kempom rankings, but what do we expect them to be? That being said, um, Syracuse did everything you could have hoped for. They played well defensively. They shot the lights out. Um, they were incredible offensively. Joe was great. Buddy was really good coming back. Uh, you know, Quincy did what he's going to do. Alan Griffin had a good night. Uh, Woody Newton came off the bench and hit some shots. Just all around a really, really positive game on Saturday, and you've got to feel really good about it heading into you know the rest of the season. Yeah, all five starters and double figures. Uh, they get to 100 points for the first time in an ACC game in a few years. That game against NC State back in 2017 was an overtime game, so first time they've they've done it in regulation in ACC competition. Um, just a terrific effort all around. You said offense, defense. I, I do wonder, and we discussed this last week, Seth, how much Buddy Beheim being back in the lineup, how much that affected things. Um, I don't know if that's the, the number one reason why Joe got back on track or not, but I think it, it was certainly a big reason. Um, he got some good looks. Joe knocked him down, and um, I'm not sure we're going to have anybody complain about his minutes today. I mean, he he played – he played very well. The the backcourt in particular played very well on Saturday, and that was good to see. Yeah, I mean, Joe played really well. Buddy played really well. Um, you know, Kadari struggled in the first half, too, for whatever it's worth. You know, he, he didn't come in and play, you know, very well at the beginning. He did in the second half, but the game was out of hand, you know, totally out of hand by the point that happened. But, you know, Steve, to your point, you know, Joe, um, it didn't look like he was forcing anything. It, it kind of like it felt like the shots kind of came up in the flow of the offense. He was open. He was left open a whole lot more than he had been for most of the season. And maybe that is what you can attribute to Buddy being back where, you know, they've got to shade things over a little bit more towards Buddy and you get some ball movement. And all of a sudden, Joe's got a really good, really clean look at the basket. But 
Joe did what he needed to do, and and I'm sure that that's a confidence booster. And again, now you have Northeastern coming in on Wednesday. You've got Buffalo on Saturday, and then you've got essentially just your ACC slate the rest of the way. You know, maybe this is a time where Joe can build up some of that confidence. He can play well in these next two, Northeastern and Buffalo, and then by the time he hits the ACC slate, maybe he's back to where he was last year, you know, on a, on a regular basis where he's feeling that good, that confident every game. I thought he did a lot well on Saturday. Um, you know, finished with five assists. He was looking for his teammates. He, he was five for seven from deep, as you said. Good looks. I mean, I, I think he forced the last one. The last one was kind of a heat check. Yes. Um, you know, and he had, had a smirk on his face as he was running down the court. But aside from that one shot, I thought he played really well. I thought his decision-making was great. Um, and obviously, he made shots, and, and, and he needed a game like that. I, I, there's no doubt about it. I mean, we talked with Jerry last week, and he said, you know, maybe it was a little bit mental right now, and, and slumps can wear on you, especially when you're a shooter and a scorer. Um, and it was wearing on him a little bit, but uh, just a, a really important bounce-back game for, for Joe. Um, and, you know, Buddy came back. We didn't really know what to expect out of Buddy after, again, if you think about it, he had practiced or he had he had played basketball with his teammates because we have to include the Bryant game. He had played basketball with his teammates for about four days in the span of four weeks, right? Because he had the the two-week layoff, then one practice, played against Bryant, and then right after that, another long layoff, and then two practices to get ready for BC. We didn't really know what to expect out of Buddy, um, but I again, I thought, he looked good. You know, he, he was three for eight from, from deep. He finished with 17 points. And, and I do think that just having him back on the court um, allowed Joe to get back into a little bit of a rhythm. And, and this offense, you know, uh, as a whole, really blossomed. Uh, again, all five guys in double figures. And, you know, everybody did some good things. Like, everybody who was on the floor did some good things on Saturday, and I, I think that that's a real positive sign for this team moving forward. There's no doubt about it. It's an absolute positive, and I, I think what you said about Buddy is really interesting, and, and I thought that that was, um, like, in the moment, it felt like a big deal that he came out and knocked down his first two threes. I don't know about you, Steve, but watching that here at the office, um, like, that felt like a big deal that he came out right away and hit his first two threes, uh, fell right into the flow of the game. Because like you said, he had only played basketball with these guys, you know, three, four days over the last month. You know, and and the idea that he was going to be rusty sounded right. You know, it sounded like, yeah, he probably would be. Because anytime you're not doing what you normally do for that long a period, you probably should be rusty. But he comes out, he hits his first two shots, he makes a couple of nice moves to the basket, and he puts up 17 points. And I heard we heard Jim Beheim say after the game that he was surprised of what Buddy could do. And I think we've got that. Um, you know, but he didn't really expect Buddy to play that well coming off. And that some of these shots early in the in the game kind of provided a lift to the rest of the team. Like, hey, look, you've got your guy back. You know, you've got a guy who, if he does what we think he might do by season's end, is probably going to be in the discussion for an all-ACC team. And you've got him back, and not only do you have him back physically, but you have him back as what you expect him to be. And that is such a huge step that it didn't take him a game, it didn't take him two games, it didn't take him a half. He was there right away as the guy that you expect. Yeah, they set the tone. Um, and, and again, we expect that Syracuse is a better basketball team than BC, but they came out, they set the tone, they imposed their will on BC. They did whatever they wanted to do. I saw Jim Christian afterwards said, you know, sometimes as a coach, you, you have no answers. 
they did not have answers for Syracuse on Saturday. And again, we knew coming into this year that this team was going to be able to score. It was really more about would they be, be able to defend at a high enough level. And, and certainly Saturday they did. And again, let's go back to the fact that that BC's got good guards, right? And and if there's going to be a you know a lower level ACC team that's going to give Syracuse a problem or a team that's in the lower tier, or you expect them to be in the lower tier. It would be a team like BC that they they've got good guard play, um, but not on Saturday. I mean, the SU guards outplayed the BC guards, and and again, I thought defensively, you know, we look at the offensive numbers and we say, wow, look at what Syracuse was able to do. I thought defensively they looked a lot better in this game, and I know it's quote unquote just BC. This is a conference opponent. It's early in the year, and you went out, and again, you you imposed your will on both ends of the court. I wanted to go back to something you said at the beginning of, of that, Steve, where, uh, you know, hey, it's it's only BC, and you said it again, it's, it's just BC. Um, there aren't very many games that you win by 40 in your conference. That goes for any conference. You know, you don't look around in mid-January and see very many 40-point differentials or very many 100-point games. And, you know, to, to your point about the guard play, yes, Boston College has good guards. And, you know, we both picked Syracuse on Friday to win by more than four points, but there's no way that you could have expected them to go out and win by 38. You know, like, there's there's a difference. Like, yes, you expect that Syracuse is better than Boston College, like you said, and I think you're absolutely right. You expect that Syracuse basketball is better than Boston College, and you expect that Syracuse basketball will beat Boston College basketball, what, nine out of every ten times they play? It's somewhere in that range, if you want to, you know, be realistic. You expect Syracuse to win these games. You don't expect them to go out and win by nearly 40. You don't expect them to hang 100. And I think that that was really the incredible part is – the offense clicked, the defense clicked, they held Boston College's guards intact, and like that was the best performance of the year. And it's it's not even particularly close, and you could say, well, it's only Boston College. It doesn't matter. Like That's by far the best performance that this team has put on paper through five games, and you know, it might be the best performance that they put on paper all year, given you know what, what they just did on Saturday. Yeah, and, and you know I've said this in the past in previous years. I'm going to say it again. The three-point line is the three-point line, whether you're playing against Duke or Cornell or Colgate. The three-point line is the three-point line, and we've seen five games out of this team so far this season, Seth, and in two of them, they've either matched or set a record in terms of most three-pointers in a game. They had 15 three-pointers against Ryder. They had 16 three-pointers on Saturday against BC. The three-point line is the three-point line, um, and, and again, the, their success rate – from distance, again, is very encouraging. We know that they can score, um, you know, and, and you keep your eye on that that three-point line. They, they doubled up BC. Syracuse made 16 of them. BC made eight of them, same amount of attempts. Um, and, again, if you're able to do that, more often than not, you're going to win games. They didn't shoot it well against Rutgers, and no surprise, they lost. They, they didn't have Buddy Behan there. Uh, Joe continued to struggle. When they shoot the three well, and I think – more times than not, this particular team, Seth, is going to shoot the three well because it's not just Buddy and Joe. You know that Quincy has added the three-point element to his game. Alan Griffin certainly is a three-point threat. He had six of them, six of nine on Saturday. Uh, Quincy didn't make his, but we know you know he can make it. We saw that. Kadari Richmond was one for one from deep. Woody Newton, we know, can knock down the three. Uh, Marek, on occasion, will will put up a three. So th- this is about more than just Buddy and Joe. You've got four guys on the floor, and we're going to leave Marek out of that because they don't really want him taking that shot. But you've got four guys on the floor, three that you feel really good about. 
and and sometimes four guys on the floor that that can fill it up from deep. Yeah, I mean that's a great thing to have as a team. You know, it's it, the idea of having more shooters, being able to space the floor, and you know, it goes back to something I said earlier. You don't know how much Joe being open or Alan Griffin getting open looks had to do with Buddy being on the floor. You know, Buddy is again one of the best shooters in the country, one of the best shooters in this conference, and teams are going to guard him in a specific way. And when you have to guard Buddy in that specific way, well, you know, you've got to you've got to make choices, and that might mean leaving Joe Girard a little more space, leaving Alan Griffin a little more space, leaving Quincy Garrier in a one-on-one matchup in the post. Whatever it might be, those guys are going to have to exploit those matchups. And I think that that's what you saw on Saturday. Yes, Joe hit threes. Yes, Alan Griffin hit threes. Yes, Boston College doesn't have an inside presence, and Quincy Garrier took advantage. But everything went right for this team in one afternoon, and you saw what happens when everything goes right. You saw the... um, you saw the offensive potential of what happens when everything goes right for an afternoon. I don't think there's any doubt, Seth, that when Buddy is on the floor, it helps with the spacing. And you've got three guys that are going to play a lot of minutes on this team that can shoot it from not just the three-point line, but, I mean, they they have range, right? Joe has range. Buddy has range. Alan Griffin has range. Um, It's not uncommon for them to, you know, to put up a, 25, 26, 27 footer. And and that helps with spacing because that inevitably is going to pull the defense out. It's going to open things up for other guys, namely Quincy, namely Marek. And you know, when Marek has a little room to operate, he's like the fifth option in this offense. For for him to be the fifth option, um, you know, you wonder why he had seven assists on Saturday, because when he gets the ball in that high post and he's got a little room to maneuver. And guys are cutting and backdoor. And, I mean, he's such a good passer that he's a dangerous weapon, right? And and he's more dangerous because of these shooters that you have around the perimeter because they're able to pull the defense out. It gives Marek a little room to operate in that, you know, 15 to 18-foot area in the high post. And he's able to pick you apart with, with how smart he is. Right. I mean, you saw that skill on display. You saw that skill on display Saturday and um, I thought he was going to go for a triple-double at one point, and then I kind of looked at the scoreboard and was like, oh, he's probably not going to play enough minutes uh, to get there. He but was he- in for 38 <laughs> minutes instead of 28 minutes. He might have. Right, exactly. If he, if he had played, you know, if it had been a closer game and he had actually had to play, he probably would have gotten there. And he might get there at some point this season, but that's the kind of player he is. You know, you mentioned his passing ability um, and, the, and the playmaking ability. And I, I see this comment from our Twitch channel, and I, I think it's right on. Um, it says big to finally have five guys on the court uh, be offensive threat threats feels like it hasn't been that uh, that hasn't been the case in a while. And I think that you're absolutely right. When you look at this team, the idea that you can have somebody at all five positions actually feel like they can give you something offensively, you know, whether that is Joe and Buddy in the backcourt, Alan Griffin and Quincy Gary at the forwards, and and, uh, uh, Marek Dolajai at the center position, they all bring something. They can all put the ball in the basket. They can all make passes. They can all make plays. They can all put it on the ground. It, It puts such a different dynamic to your offense than what we've seen in the past whether it was Marek being a non-factor, Matt Moyer, uh, Pascal Chukwu, uh, Barama Sidibe, whoever it might be that was a non-factor on the team offensively over the last four years, it doesn't seem like you have that in the starting lineup this year. How many times, Seth, did we have this conversation when Tyus Battle was here? 
when we come on a, a show after a loss and we talk about, well, they're playing three on five. They're playing exactly. four on five on the offensive end. You know, the offense was, here, Tyus, go do something. Um, and that's not the case anymore. And it is refreshing to see five guys on the floor who can score, five guys on the floor that are a threat, five guys on the floor, Seth, that are are versatile, right? Um, you've, you've got guys who can score in a variety of ways on the floor. They can beat you from outside. They can beat you on the way to the basket. Again, Marex, that little X factor in the, in the high post, foul on extended, that they can do some things. Uh, this team is fun to watch. And, and again, I, I, I realize that, that some will come back to and say, well, it's just BC. You know, you, you saw them against Rutgers and, you know, they didn't look like this against Rutgers. Rutgers is a better defensive team. I get that. I, I realize Rutgers is a better overall team, but it's, it's hard not to imagine what the possibilities can be with this team, especially on the offensive end, when you put five guys on the floor at once who can score. And the two guys coming off the bench, and I know we saw a lot of you know various guys come off the bench on Saturday, and, and we'll get to this in the next segment. I, I think we're starting to get some clarity, though, on what the rotation is going to be. You bring two guys off the bench in Woody and Kadari that can score as well. I mean, Woody makes his presence felt. Woody likes to get his shots up, and he, he finds ways to impact the game by scoring. Kadari, we know, can impact the game, uh, again, through five games. It's a small sample size, but we've seen that he can impact the game uh, in a variety of categories, not just scoring, but assists and rebounds. You've got seven options that, again, legitimately are threats to score, and it's been a while since that's been the case. You, you know, Again, just go back to, to when Tyus was here. That, that certainly was not the case when he was here. No, you're absolutely right. And, and just to go back for one second, you, you you say, oh, well, the pushback might be it's just Boston College. And I understand where that pushback would come. Um, it's not like we're doing – it's not like we're having this conversation because they won 75 to 63. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, not, it's not like we're coming off of a 10-point win where they scored somewhere in the 70s and we're like, whoa, look at this offensive talent, right? Like they scored 100 points. You know, and, and you do that against any Division One team, it's impressive. You do it against an ACC opponent, no matter who it is, it's even more impressive. So, yes, it's only Boston College. They might be the worst team in your conference. You're absolutely right. They are certainly, certainly in that lower tier, that bottom third of the ACC. However, it's not like they just got by. It's not like they won by 15 points. They didn't even only win by 20. They won by nearly 40 points. They scored 100. And if there had been walk-ons with the team, right, because we don't know. I know that the they've said that the walk-ons were kind of given the option of going home, right, given the, the COVID stuff and, and everything over break. Um, you know, had, had there really been walk-ons on the team, they would have been playing like the last three minutes of this game. You know, and, and we saw Boston College had walk-ons in for the last three minutes of the game. So, like, you're you're looking at a situation that is, um, I, in my opinion, a bit exceptional. You know, it's it's not like your average win over Boston College where you just kind of thump them, you win by 15 to 20 points, and you move on. Your defense played exceptionally, exceptionally well and held them to 63 points. Your offense was incredible and scored 101. You know, it's it's a different set of circumstances than when we talked about the Boston College win last year that was, what, by 21 or 22 points? This feels different even than that kind of a blowout. 
Yeah, I mean, this this feels good for a lot of reasons uh, for, for this Syracuse team. Uh, shot 59% from the field, 52% from three-point range in a 101-63 victory. We are just getting started here on a Monday edition of Orange Nation. Phone lines open the entire way. We want to talk Cuse basketball with you. 315-437-7644. We're back after this on ESPN Radio. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. Live from Armory Square, this is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Hour number two of the show brought to you by Route 34. You pull them, 315-437-7644. As we go back to the phone lines, Pat and Syracuse kicking us off in hour number two. Hey, Pat. Steve, I've never been in such a good mood about the Bills winning. Uh, I don't proclaim to be a Bills fan, but when you uh, when, when you're relying on St- Stephon Diggs and uh, he, he comes through, it's it's all red and blue today for certain. I I, I couldn't be in a better mood. Uh, I also couldn't be in a better mood to actually um, see Joe Girard play to his level. And I, you know, I thought about it during the Bills game when Deontay Johnson was struggling and dropped those two passes, and even on that level, like. If you're not getting it done, it's 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 next man up, um, and, and and that's his philosophy. And Coach Beheim, he has his own philosophy, and, and you know there's probably six other philosophies out there. So it's it's really refreshing to just see Joe because that that was the most frustrating thing from my vantage point was it's not like we're asking him to do you know like a ton like. Like like when Jerry was was running the team for a couple of years, uh, he didn't have the weapons around him that 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 we have this year, especially on offense with Roberts and Watkins. And Jerry had to do a ton. I mean, he just Joe didn't have to do more than what he was capable of doing, and he and he wasn't doing it. And and nobody, you know. But there's so much going on this this, this year with 2020 and COVID and the practice. And you know, we we chopped it up about it. And, and I I was happier than anybody in Syracuse to. See Joe nail. What did he nail? His first five shots. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so it's all all good. I, I I do actually think it's interesting. I think this 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 team right now today is better than the the club we had last year, and I think Carolina's actually worse. And we smoked them last year. Um, so I'm not really thinking that. I agree with Steve. Um, if you don't have guards that can set your bigs up for success, you're going to have real, real trouble against our zone. Um, obviously, if we don't shoot it well, we're not going to be able to get the offensive rebounds, and that could lead to a loss uh, because, you know, this, this team also, not only can we shoot it well, but when things are going well on, on the offensive boards with Quincy and Griffin's a great rebounder and, and Merrick, um, we can actually play play that way too. I'm I'm really like, you know, Coach Beheim didn't want to talk about Barama and, and all that, but man, it is it is very interesting sports radio talk when, when when you start thinking about like what you guys were touching on last hour and and last week and, and I mean, man, I don't know, it, it's super interesting because somebody's get the somebody's got to get the short end of the stick, and I'm not I'm just not sure. I mean, you guys don't think for a second that we're we're going to ever see Buddy at the three, right? I don't think uh, not a lot. No, I mean I think in. I don't yeah, even think I it'll mean, happen. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean I I don't see that happening because if Griffin wasn't a good shooter and, and you really needed to kind of get that shooter on there, but that's that was kind of my point last week is a lot of these guys kind of do similar things, um, and that's the interesting thing about 
Kadari with Joe because I don't know if Joe is best suited to be the point guard full time. Um, and that's not to say that he doesn't earn 20 to 35 minutes a game. It's just to say that I think Kadari setting up Joe can make Joe a much better player. So it's going to be tough to see how the pieces fit, but man, these are a lot better than having to worry about a freshman or a sophomore Merrick being your third option on offense. I mean, those, those, those were some tough times. Um, you know, Frank Howard had his slumps and, you know, when, when Frank or Tyus didn't play well, we would lose every time. And, and now I just think there's so many options on offense. And, and I am curious to see how we balance the offensive firepower with almost any lineup, but also what's going to be the best on the boards and the best on defense. I'm also excited. I, I did hear last hour that the uh, Northeastern game on Wednesdays at three o'clock. Yes, it is. Yep. So that'll be interesting as well. So thanks for the airtime, Steve. I think you handled um, all the emotions uh, as good as anybody could, and I thank you for it. I, I, I don't claim either one of us to necessarily be right or wrong at any point. It, it, it was what it was, and I, I, I appreciate the uh, times. Well, we appreciate your passion, and uh, I, I appreciate you calling today, Pat. Thanks for checking in. Um, and, and, again, phone lines are open at 315-437-7644. You know, to Pat's point about – options and, and we touched on this last hour Seth about there were there were teams where it was like okay if if Frank and Tyus don't do something or if, if O'Shea and Tyus don't do something the team was in a whole lot of trouble you got uh, of these seven guys that I think we're going to see on a regular basis moving forward until Barama comes back all seven can score all seven can bring something to the table on the offensive end yep. and that has not been the case um you know, I mean, again, just look at those teams that where it really was. If, if Tyson Frank have an off night, Syracuse is going to lose. And and you don't have that. I mean, you know, Joe did not play well against Rutgers. Syracuse could have won that game. I mean, Joe, Joe struggled. And they didn't have Buddy out there. And Syracuse could have won the game. It was essentially a tie game with five minutes to go, and it didn't go their way down the stretch. But I'd much prefer go to battle with that kind of team than have two – you know, two or three guys that I'm relying on that they need to score, you know, they need to combine for 60 points to have a chance to win. You don't need three guys to combine for 60 points. Now you've got, you know, whoever's on the floor can actually score the basketball. And that, I I think that is refreshing for SU fans. That was actually exactly what I was going to say. Do you remember our conversations legitimately were, Hey, if O'Shea, Frank and Tyus can combine for 60, maybe you're in good position. Like, think about yeah. how ridiculous it is. And it was ridiculous in the moment to be having that kind of a conversation. But we were like, look, if they don't if they don't at least all score tw- uh, 18, you got no shot at winning. And if they score 20 a pop, you feel better about it. Like, those were bad times. And, and the fact that, you know, looking back on it, you could say that. The fact that they made a Sweet 16 with that team is remarkable. Um, you know, it goes to show how good they were defensively. But I'd much rather watch right. this team. I mean, I'd much rather yeah. watch this group of guys that, that can put points on the board and put points on the board in bunches. And, and to your point, they didn't play particularly well offensively in that Rutgers game. And what? They still put up 69 points. You know, like they still put up a representative point total and output. And you didn't feel like at any point they played great. You didn't have Buddy and, you you know, Joe didn't do much of anything. 
you essentially didn't have Joe, right? I mean, that wasn't Joe uh, against Rutgers. And you didn't have Buddy, well, you didn't have Barama, and you still were in position to beat a, a ranked opponent on the road. It was worse than not having Joe because he was actively bad. Yeah, he didn't play well. Right. Obviously. I mean, we, we've been over that. Um, and so, again, that that's kind of the point, though, is that you one of your better players had an off game. You were without another one of your better players, and you're still in that game on the road um, against a nationally ranked opponent. You, you came up short. But, again, I think in some ways that is an encouraging sign. But, you know, Pat's right. I mean, and, and we, we talked about it last hour. You've got a lot of options this year, and I think, you know, that's exciting for SU fans is that you don't go into any given game saying – Oh man, you know if this guy is an off night, they're not going to win. You've got options. You got different ways to beat people, um, and that is refreshing. We should point out here: uh, the ACC has a new commissioner, uh, Northwestern AD Jim Phillips has uh, has gotten the job. And and again, I don't claim to know a lot about Jim Phillips other than what I've read, Seth. But it sounds like a, a good hire, a good appointment. Um, he is well respected around the country, considered one of the top ads in the country. He was right in the mix for the uh, the Big Twelve commissioner job. Uh, didn't get it, um, but he's he's done a great job in Northwestern. Obviously, a strong academic institution as well as athletics. He's been on campus, so he knows both sides of it. Right? He knows the administrative aspect of it. He also knows what it's like to you know to run a university and what the individual schools are going through. Um, I think this is you know by all accounts, it seems like a really good hire for a lot of reasons. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting hire. You mentioned all the positives. You know, he's he's a guy who has been heading up Northwestern. And, and think about what Northwestern Athletics has gone through since he kind of took over, right? The football program has taken off. The the basketball program has made a tournament, you know, for the first time in school history. And, you know, by the way, the football program, with their limited resources, has managed to keep Pat's, Pat Fitzgerald not only from other college jobs, but from MB- NFL jobs, you know? And, and they've managed to keep him uh, by doing enough to keep him around. So I think that you can look at his, jo- his work as an athletic director and be a uh, impressed. You mentioned he was in the running for the Big Ten commissionership, and you ha- you have to be impressed with that. He was actually viewed as a front runner for that job for a long time. Um, and you know, I I think it's interesting for this reason. You're choosing somebody for the first time in the history of the conference. You're choosing somebody who does not have any real ties to the conference. He worked for Notre Dame, but like I, I don't really count that in the same way. Every other commissioner of the ACC had either worked for uh, as an athletic director, right, been an athletic director, or graduated from an ACC school, and in a lot of cases, both. Uh, but they they had done one or the other, or even worked in the ACC office. And Jim Phillips comes in and has no connection to the league, and comes in at, at what's an important time for the league because um, you know I saw it I saw it mentioned on Twitter um, by I think the North Carolina paper, the the Raleigh News and Observer. For whatever reason, like the Carolina schools and the traditional ACC schools, like still aren't happy about these other schools that have been brought in. So you've got to have a commissioner who can. Um, you know, who can kind of bridge that gap, mend that that whatever that that break that you have. Um, and then, you know, it's it's kind of interesting looking at the TV deal. The ACC is locked up for like the next 15 years. And based on what I've read, it doesn't seem like a lot of people look so favorably on that deal, especially as compared to what the Big Ten and the SEC are getting. Um, and they might have to go in and and kind of redo some things. And and so, you know, Jim Phillips comes in well-respected by all accounts and walks into what looks like a pretty interesting situation as, you know, a relative outsider. And, and I think that that might be a really good thing for the league to get some 
some outside voices and some new people into the mix. Fresh perspective. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a great point, Seth. 315-437-7644. Uh, that official announcement expected uh, later today. No, Several came, media outlets reporting it right now. The official um, announcement came down, Steve, about... Uh, oh, you got at, the official announcement yep, now? Yep, uh, about 18 minutes ago. Oh, okay, right at 1 o'clock. All right, I saw. I just saw a report that said uh, John Swafford was going to make the announcement later, but I guess later has come. So there you go. It's a, it's official now. Uh, Jim Phillips, Northwestern AD, is, is officially the new commissioner of the Atlantic Coast Conference. And with that, we'll take another time out, 315-437-7644. We'll be back after this on ESPN Radio. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. Live from Armory Square, this is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. ESPN Syracuse wants to help one family in need this holiday season. Go to the ESPN Syracuse Facebook page and send us a direct message nominating a family. Santa will deliver the goods to Help out this season. The family will receive $200 in gift cards from local Walmarts in East Syracuse and Camillus. $200 in gift cards from Petco. Your neighborhood Petco is your one-stop shop for your pet's needs this season and beyond. A gift card from Colella Gallery located in the Marriott Syracuse downtown. Plus SU gear for your entire family from University Sports Shop. A gift card from Escotti's Meatballs and more. A gift card for groceries from You Pull, You Save Auto Parts. And a dozen bagels, compliments of Bagelicious Bagels in Liverpool. Go to the ESPN Syracuse Facebook page. Direct message us your nomination. Be Santa's little helper with ESPN Radio Syracuse. Some good ideas there, Seth. Uh, as we get back to the to the sports talk now, phone lines remain open at 315-437-7644. I can't believe it's taken almost 90 minutes to get to this. Um, but we got to talk some bills at some point today, Seth. Um, and I texted you during the game last night, and and I wasn't saying this tongue in cheek, and I wasn't saying this to to brag or boast. Um, I I I merely wanted to get your thoughts. And my text to you was, "Is Buffalo the second best team in the NFL?" And I legitimately legitimately want to know what you think. How do you feel about that? I think they really might be. I think they really might be. You know, you saw a game where neither team played particularly well to start, and then after the half, Josh Allen and the Bills' offense just kind of turned it on. You know, the it, it felt like, and I'm curious what you thought also, but um, it felt like the Bills should have been winning by a lot more than, like, their three points at the half. You know, and, and they got it on the, or I, I should say the two points. I forgot they missed the extra two points. points yeah, point. um, You know, it felt like they should have been winning by a lot more than just 9-7. Uh, going into the half, but at least they were ahead. And then Josh Allen came out and completed, what, his first 10, 11 passes of the half um, and was just phenomenal. And Stephon Diggs was great again. Um, like, that that move, that, that trade has continued to just be worth everything they've given up. But you see this Bills offense, and, and they're legit. They've got the weapons to help Josh Allen out. Uh, Josh Allen has made steps and improved. Um, you know, and, and you look at the defense and the defense seems to be kind of rounding into form of what you expect out of the bills the last couple of years where they're playing really well. And Tredavious white is going to lock down one side of the field. And, you know, you, you kind of go from there, but you saw turnovers last night. You saw them convert them into points. Just a really good night for the bills. 
Yeah, all the way around. Um, and, and I I say that about you know is this the second best team in the NFL? We know KC's number one, and I and listen, the Packers are really good. Um, Saints lost yesterday. Seahawks no longer look like they're a top five team. We'll see the Browns tonight. I don't I don't think the Browns are better than the Bills. Um, you know, you look at the fact that the Bills can run the football. The Bills can certainly throw the football, and they can play defense. And we were just talking you know, for the last 90 minutes about SU basketball and how they have all these options and they can beat you a variety of ways. You need to win a variety of ways in the postseason or at least need to be able to. You don't necessarily need to win a variety of ways. You need to be able to win a variety of ways. If it's a bad weather game or a cold weather game or a low-scoring game or a high-scoring game. Um, you know, I saw Mike Greenberg the other day post this um, on social media, and he he made a lot of sense. And this was going into this past weekend's games, but statistically, you've got the best passing offense and the best rushing offense and a team that can match the Chiefs score for score, right? You're not yeah. going to shut down the Chiefs. You're not going to only give up 15 points if you play the Chiefs, but you have an offense that can match Patrick Mahomes score for score. And you have you have a team that, again, can win a, a relatively low-scoring game like they did last night against the Steelers. So. Uh, I do think they check a lot of boxes. You need a, a good quarterback to win in the, in the in the postseason, and I think Josh Allen is getting to that point now where he's a, a top ten quarterback in this league. You need to be able to run the football. You need to be able to throw the football. You need to be able to play defense. And the Bills check all of those boxes. Yeah, I mean the Bills look really good. They look poised for a run in the playoffs. You know, they you, you say how do they match up against the Chiefs and and. Uh, you know, you say you're not going to beat them scoring 15 points. Didn't it feel relatively like a win that the Dolphins only allowed like 33 against them yesterday? Yeah. You're like, wow, that's impressive. They they got, they got four turnovers. And, and then you look at the scoreboard and it's like, oh, they allowed 33 points. You know, like that could have been so much worse. Um, like that's the kind of offense that the Chiefs are. But on the on the other hand, this Bills offense has shown an ability to really score to really put points up. They did the majority of their damage last night. Um, you know, and, and you can see them do it throughout the course of the year. The Seahawks game stands out. Um, and again, I go back, I, I, I keep going back to the Stefan Diggs trade, Steve, and I, I don't know what you, what you think, but um, you know, I was skeptical of Josh Allen. You know, I was skeptical of him when he got drafted. I was skeptical after his rookie year, even after last year, I just, I had so many questions about Josh Allen, but to Brandon Bean's credit, um, and it's why he got a contract extension. It's why he's viewed the way he is. Uh, he went out and got Josh Allen as much help as he could, right? It was LaShawn McCoy, Young, uh, but you felt like they needed more. They got John Brown and Cole Beasley, and that was better, but you still felt like they needed more. And they go out and they swing, and they get Stephon Diggs, and it puts John Brown and Cole Beasley in the roles that they should be in, and it gives Josh Allen a real number one receiver. He's got 100 catches, which is already tying the franchise record with weeks to go on the season. And you look at what this offense has become after you add an, a, a dynamic all-pro type receiver to it, uh, you know, along with Zach Moss, along with Devin Singletary, and, you know, the guys that were there like Beasley and John Brown. I mean, they, they've done everything they can to help Josh Allen, and with all of this around him, he's really blossomed into a really good NFL quarterback. Yeah, they've given him a couple of go-to guys. They're doing this without John Brown, who's been injured. Um, Cole Beasley is somebody that he feels awfully confident with. That uh, again, if it's a, a third and five, he'll look for Beasley. And and we saw last night that you know, and we've seen it all season long. I mean, Diggs is 
whatever he is, fifth in the in the entire NFL in terms of receiving yards. I, I want to say he's number one in, in catches, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but he is a guy that Allen looks for, and he goes to him, and he knows the good things are going to happen if he can get Stephon Diggs the ball. He feels very comfortable with Beasley. Um, he feels very comfortable with John Brown, and he hasn't been there. He's got you know a, a tight end in Dawson Knox that, that he can go to. You're right. They've got a lot of weapons. They put a lot of weapons around him. They've helped out Josh Allen, and he's – done his part as well this isn't just about the pieces i think josh allen deserves some credit as well yes for coming along the way that he has and the way you know his rookie year got off to a little bit of a rocky start but little by little by little he has improved to the point now where you trust in josh allen he's still gonna make a mistake here and there he's gonna you know still gonna throw a pass off his back foot and have it picked off like he did in the first half last night um but for the most part you like his decision making his decision making has gotten a lot better over the course of the last two and a half seasons um, you feel very comfortable with him back there, a quarterback, and you love the weapons they've put around him. And Stephon Diggs is a legit number one receiver. And, uh, you know, he's been every bit as good as advertised and then some in this Bills offense. No, I mean, there's no question about it. You're right that, that Josh Allen has taken steps forward, um, you know, and, and he's done what he's needed to, right? The team has done what they've needed to. He's done what he's needed to. And Brian Dable, I think, has done what he's needed to. You know, you. You put it all together with putting guys around a quarterback who is getting better and having an offensive mind that is willing to do some things and be creative, and that's what you end up with. And it hasn't hurt the defense. You know, you've seen that. That side of the ball is still that side of the ball with Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier, and they still do a really good job. So when you compare it with an offense, when you compare that with an offense that's going to score, you know, high 20s points a game, you've got a pretty good recipe. I love how much they throw the ball on first down as well. Um, I saw that stat the other day that they lead the league in uh, passing attempts on first down. And again, being a Bills fan, Seth, since the days of Jim Kelly, like they, you know, they threw the ball a lot when Jim Kelly was there. But since the days of Jim Kelly, we've seen, you know, we've gone through a lot of years, us Bills fans, of, you know, run, run, pass, you know, run, run, pass, punt, um, and being very conservative. Uh, not this coaching staff, not Brian Daybold, not Sean McDermott. Um, we saw last week, they went for the jugular in a situation where it was a fourth and two and they were on the attack and they went for it and they picked up the first down and they ended up winning the game. And, and last night too, again, Steelers were, were still in the game, um, you know, early in the fourth quarter and the bills kept throwing the ball. They kept being aggressive. They didn't play not to lose. They went out to try and win it. And uh, again, I, I love it. I'm, I'm not used to this being a bills fan in the last, uh, you know, for my entire life. But since Jim Kelly left, I'm not used to this aggressive play calling, uh, but we're seeing it. And and again, if you're going to be an aggressive play caller, you need to trust your quarterback. And I think there is that trust between Brian Daybold and and Josh Allen. Um, and so with that, let's take another time. I know we're up against the clock here. 315-437-7644. We're back after this on ESPN Radio.